Hello, and welcome to Heatwork, Episode 3. This will be the last episode for a little bit, as we need to record more to publish more. We're hoping for late summer for the next collection of episodes. Today features Aubrey, she, her, Antra, she, her, and Alex, they, them, discussing East Creek Art, the upcoming queer cat firing happening at East Creek Art, and the culture and pedagogy surrounding the wood fire program at Utah State University. You might hear some audio interference and other sounds in the recording today. Apologies for any disruptions along those lines, and we all humbly thank you for bearing with us and listening anyway. We do the best we can, but podcasting is an amateur sport for many, and we're no exception. Some announcements. In the past couple of weeks, we've had a lot of response and feedback for our little cast here, so thank you to everyone who has reached out. We're excited to be here doing this, and it is so lovely and heartwarming to receive that feedback. We are also now available on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, Google, and many of the other major podcasting platforms, so feel free to go wherever you usually get your podcasts to find us and subscribe. If you like what you hear, we'd love a rating and or a review if you have the time. If you don't like what you hear, we'd love it if you lied about it. Just kidding. Don't lie. It's really bad for your heart. We also now have an Instagram handle at Heatwork Podcast. If you follow us there, you'll stay up to date on announcements and episode releases. And if you want to reach out with news or feedback of your own, please email us at heatworkpodcast at gmail.com. Hi, everybody. I'm uh, Aubrey Sloan. My pronouns are she, her. This is episode three of Heat Work. Really excited to be here today. I'm going to be talking about East Creek Art, which is a place that I live and work, and talking about the crew building, the style, and just how things work out here and some of the goals that we have moving into the future for our organization. Hi, everyone. My name is Antra Sinha. I use she, her pronouns. And in this episode, I'll talk about the wood firing culture at Utah State University here in Logan, Utah, where I've been since seven years now. And my experiences with firing kilns at different artist studios and wood firing workshops and experiences in that aspect of my life. And I'm Alex Slidell. My pronouns are they, them. And I'm going to be talking about a firing that myself and Twig Cosby have been putting together. We are both local ceramic artists who love wood firing. And we've been working with East Creek and Aubrey specifically to bring a fully funded firing to LGBTQ artists in the Pacific Northwest, not just specifically Oregon, and that's happening in May. And I, I guess the other specific thing about that I'll be talking about is what our thought process is upon bringing people to East Creek. Twig and I have been working for the last close to six months, I want to say, on putting together this firing at East Creek of East Creek's Catenary Arch Kiln, which is a wood soda-fired kiln. And in tandem with the firing of that kiln, we are hosting and teaching two pre-firing workshops for people that are new to wood firing and or are new to ceramics in general. We have secured almost 
all the funds. We thought we secured all of the funds, but I'll back up for a second. We secured over $3,000 in grant money from a few different grants, and then the rest was crowdfunded through GoFundMe. Now what I didn't realize is that GoFundMe takes a percentage of what you fundraise, so we're still 30 bucks short. (laughs) (laughs) How are you feeling about the firing? I feel pretty good. So funding aside, Twig and I have been meeting like every week doing lots of planning. We're only a little bit behind, but we both plan to the extent where that means that we're right on schedule. So I think we're good. So we've been planning the workshops, planning the contact forms for everyone that has reached out to us or who we've reached out to. So the workshops are going to be taking place in Portland. One is going to be at Morning Ceramics and one is going to be at Daffodil Studio. So more importantly, in line with this podcast, what the through line is that we're trying to talk about, some of the questions that Aubrey so kindly put together for me today. I'm just going to read because I think it's really nice and then I'm just going to answer it. I mean, I could ask the questions if you want. I would love that. Well, one thing I do want to note when you were just talking about you and Twig meeting weekly, one thing that I've observed and admire about both of you is your passion and care and thoughtfulness about this project. It's cool. It got funded. Then that could be like, you know, you could take some time and get people there, but y'all have been so thoughtful, taking lots of time and energy. And I think projects like this, when folks are really thoughtful, you don't always see all that behind the scenes. Y'all have really put a lot of time and care and it's really inspiring to watch you think about all these things because it helps me like think about more things. And it's cool. I'm excited to see it all go down. I have a couple of things, I guess. I'll start with the first one because it's more about the ethos of the project. I am still interested in the grant funding because I do think that if people are thinking about these projects, that's a nice thing to just think about. So when you're thinking about making space and leading some people for the first time into the wood firing process, what key considerations are you thinking about to create an authentic and welcoming environment? And how have the two of you processed through these conversations as you're talking about them? Yeah, so I I think that's a great question. Our starting point, I feel like, have been, okay, what have our experiences been like in the wood-fired community as members of the LGBTQ community? Both of us have some less-than-savory experiences that our love for clay and ceramic and wood-firing prevail. I talked about a little bit in the first episode about how I can be a little bit stubborn and make space for myself in situations where I may not have an advocate. And so, like I said, our jumping off point is coming to it thinking of, okay, how can we be those that advocate for someone? And it just rolled out from there. We've had a lot of conversations about how can we make sure that this is inclusive. Oregon is a very white state. Wood fire community and the clay community is reflected in that in Oregon. And we wanted to make sure that, yes, we're specifically reaching out to BIPOC folks to come and join us, but we don't want to make them feel like they're being tokenized. We don't want them to make them feel that they're just a box being checked. We want them to know that we're genuinely excited for them to be here. And we're hoping that also being members of the LGBTQIA plus community, we can relate on that level and then try to foster the same just welcoming 
non-judgmental, non-invasive environment that I think is really helpful for learning and just being around ceramics. That being said, we are trying to let people know that even though we're focusing on BIPOC outreach, it is a white and white passing led event. So we're having a lot of conversations, not only with each other, but with some of our friends who are participating, who are artists of color, and what can we do to make sure that the environment is comfortable for them. Basically, we're just trying to make sure that everybody feels welcome, that they're thought about, that they're cared about, that we want them to learn, and that wood firing is cool and wood firing is for everybody. And so another thing that I've been thinking about particularly are just access needs. So not only mobility access needs, if we have anybody that has specific needs in that regard, how can we help them navigate East Creek, specific dietary needs, any ASL interpretation. These are just like a few of the things we've just been talking about and really trying to extend the thought. And and really the key thing that we've been thinking about this firing is that being queer is not just about being part of the LGBTQ community. It's about being intersectional and how can we show that in what we're doing, not only with how we're organizing the event, but how we're actually living that idea in the workshops, in the firing, in and out of wood-fired spaces. Yeah, I think that's great. Yeah, I guess one of the things is when I think about this firing and I have a personal relationship with both you and Twig, and this is a project, a firing, but I feel like it sparked this energy towards a longer conversation that goes beyond the firing. When you're talking about all of those different aspects and considering them, it's expanding the collective thought about those things, which I think is really cool and glad y'all are doing that. Thank you. It feels natural. I don't know. <laughs> in a way. I mean, it's work, obviously, but it feels like the right progression of things. I have a logistical question. Alex, when you talked about doing workshops in Portland in two different studios, I'm curious about if you've already thought and planned how many hours or days is that workshop for all of you go to East Creek? I mean, what's that plan? Is it okay to talk about that now? I'm happy to talk about it. Yeah, so the two pre-firing workshops are happening a little bit close to the firing. The firing's May 19th through the 21st, and the pre-firing workshops are May 5th and May 7th. And we have a bisque day set so that things will be ready and I'll back up a little. We are also planning to arrange for pre-workshop making days because we want to make sure that people have time, resources. The workshops themselves are three hours and they're in the studios in Portland. We have a couple of options for other spaces to host these pre-workshop making days, but we wanted to make sure to, especially the people that are really new to clay, we wanted to make sure that they really understand they have an, and they have enough time to play around and we want to make sure they don't feel pressed for time. In the workshop being like, oh my God, the workshop is on Sunday and the bisque is on Friday and that's only five days and I work a Monday through Friday job, you know. Yeah, so we're definitely trying to get that all together soon. Yeah, we're a few months out. We're about to send this big email blast to everybody to get some information about how many cubes everybody wants and that kind of particular stuff. So I wish we had sent this email two weeks ago, but I think it's fine. It's still like three months away. So <laughs> finding those pockets of time and actually balance between working and doing the playwork towards 
when the BISC is going to be. So lots of logistical things to plan. Yeah. And we're going to have a pre-firing wadding day as well so that people can wad ahead of time. If they have no idea what the hell that even means, we can help them feel not so, yeah. We just want to be able to share the knowledge we have and make sure we're like an open resource for these people that we're trying to feel welcome and make sure that they have at least the basic knowledge to be able to spread their wings a little bit. Well, and it can be intimidating to show up to a new space where you have to figure out how you exist, like eat, use the bathroom, what's going on. Also, new art form. Okay, where do I put my pots? What's Where do things go? And then also, what do I even do? Like, what is glazing? What is wadding? So if it's not all happening at one time, it seems like that'll be a little bit more approachable. And one thing I wanted to ask you too, Alex, was I have a view of this because I've watched the community be really excited, but I wondered if you'd speak a little bit about just this idea came up last summer. You started talking about it to people in the Portland and Oregon area. What's the response been and how has that felt for you? Like some key thoughts on that. Yeah, well, it's been amazing. I'll say that. We had this idea. It was at the Northwest Woodfire Conference where the panel was happening, where some of us met and who are in the podcast now. I think I just made a comment offhand about, because there was a women's firing at East Creek back in 2019. And I had this idea, it would be really fun to do a queer firing. We did this, why not that? And Aubrey and Twig and all, we were all just sort of like, yeah. And I have no idea how it evolved into two workshops and a firing, but I'm so happy it has. Because I really like teaching and I haven't had an opportunity to teach ceramics or art, which is something that I would really like to do. So I'm not quite sure how it stemmed into that, but I think it just branched off on the fact that we want this to be really accessible for people. We want it to be free. How can we make that happen? Oh, there's tons of art-related grants that love giving money to gay people. They're like, (laughs) oh, (laughs) you need our help? That's some brownie points for us. That's a tax write-off for us. (laughs) Obviously, it's more than that, but I see their game. (laughs) (laughs) you know i do remember how it evolved in that way please when we were working on writing the grants and i laid out some questions to just listen and hear like what twig and you what your intentions were and what your thoughts were and it was really beautiful to watch y'all both go back and forth why are we doing this what's important to us what's the purpose who i think it was when we got to the who questions like oh who is it the people who are already doing this well actually what we would love to do is bring more people into this. How do we do that? They don't have access to studios. And this goes back to the thoughtfulness thing. You really went through that process of what's an experience for somebody who hasn't experienced it. And you started from like the baseline to make sure that you could get people there. Like the accessibility piece was so huge. I mean, I remember because I thought it was really cool to listen and see that thoughtfulness. So yeah, you're like, I guess we got to do workshops <laughs> and Twig teaches, you know? So there was that too. And that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for outlining that. I do remember that. Were we sitting like outside? It was nice enough. We were sitting outside near where the chicken cat is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that now. It's a nice brainstorming day. Yeah. That was, I do remember it. It did feel huge. I was just going to add that it seems like East Kanakama does not only have kilns, but also spaces for brainstorming. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ample. <laughs> the bunkhouse, I've had many a little gathering in there, especially recently. <laughs> Whenever Twig and I are there at the same time, we're like, bring your laptop. <laughs> we like huddle around the wood stove. <laughs> And I was just curious, and another, I feel like I have cut and dry questions. Sure. <laughs> the question is about, you know, in among the participants, it seems like there are quite a few people who are new to clay, but are there also people who have a little bit of experience? I mean, what's the proportion? Of course, there'll be people who are helping and making space for accessibility, but is there going to be experience sharing among them too, if that question makes sense? Yes, there are, I think it's about 50-50. So I've talked about the workshops. That's maybe about half of the folks that we want to bring in. We've had so much interest that we're, we're actually going to expand how many people we're bringing into each workshop. We're going to push it a little bit for the studio space, which is really cool. But the other half of folks are literally folks who already fire at East Creek. Mandy is going to be helping us. And yeah, we've designated some folks who are a part of the community who can help us. The way we're setting up the firing is similar to how we set it up normally in terms of shifts. So there's four shifts in a day. And so Twig and I are shift leaders, and we've designated two folks to be the other shift leaders who are going to get more cubes in the kiln. And they are folks who have would fired at East Creek before, but they're younger. They're in their 20s like Twig and I. And they are both part of our LGBTQ community, and they both have wanted to get in a more leadership role, but have been, for one reason or the other, it's just been like, there's a lot going on, and there's a lot of people, and you know, some of us are not quite as assertive as others can be. So it's been really, felt really cool to be able to bring those folks, I'd say their names, but I, I don't know, I haven't checked that that's okay with them, and I just would rather not. But maybe next episode, I'll, I'll have checked with them. But we're really excited. They're very excited. So yeah, the w workshop people are theoretically all new to wood fire. One of them is for people that are new to clay and wood fire. One of them is for people that have done clay but not wood fire before or atmospheric firing. We're kind of using a bit of a blanket. And the people that have wood fired at East Creek before who are a part of the people that are participating. Like Mandy, we're going to have help us. We're going to have people lead like wadding or like, no, maybe not wadding mixing. I'm hopefully going to do that and not burden anybody else with that. Chores around the kiln. Yeah, shelf grinding and wood chopping and wadding rolling, the snakes for the bricks and all kinds of stuff. So, oh, and we're going to do a pizza night. We're, we've, another thing that we're trying to facilitate is meal sharing. And we're going to do a pizza night. And yeah, anyway, I'm going off, but it's just very exciting. <laughs> yeah, it sounds wonderful. Yeah, thanks for your questions. <laughs> yeah, I am really interested. I know we're, oh, we're looking at time. I'm just going to ask a couple questions as we maybe transition into the next thing. Because I do think the grant writing process and all of that might be really interesting to people. But I wonder if we might, I don't know, if you want to do a more in-depth thing with Twig joining like a different episode. And then that could be more of the, a full in-depth, like, how did this happen? Honestly, I would love that. I think Twig would really like that opportunity. I think the amount of work that you, you and Twig have put in to really secure funding, manage these spaces. I'm sure that those are almost like tools in the toolbox that we've been talking about. So mm -hmm. fruitful. Yeah, I would be happy to go into the nitty gritty of that if, if that's what you're 
talking about. Yeah, I mean, I hope that I'm not the only one who's thinking that these ideas actually just help other people come up with such ideas to make oh, it yeah. easier for them to say, oh, yeah, this has been done. Why don't I also try doing it in this community? Yes, totally. Because it is extremely daunting. But I mean, I couldn't imagine trying to do this on my own. It's been so amazing having someone like Twig. Like, we're always on the same page, too. But yeah, I would be happy to share that knowledge, too. We definitely didn't get all the grants we applied for. And I got some feedback about that from the grants. And yeah, I think sharing that would probably help someone, too. Because <laughs> it's very daunting. But it's also, after you do it, you're like, oh, that wasn't too bad. <laughs> it took a lot of work. But it's it's attainable. You just got to break it down and do one thing at a time. <laughs> it, it helps when, when people demystify the grant writing process because it can be intimidating. You know, I that is such a phrase that they drilled into my brain, I feel like, in high school and college and stuff. But it didn't even occur to me, really, that I'm like, oh, my God, this is a real world <laughs> scenario. Can you believe they taught me something useful in grade school? <laughs> anyway... Well, it's great to hear all about that. Excited to, it's going to be awesome to hear more about it and also have Twig join and yeah. talk in detail because it's, it's cool. This is Aubrey, and welcome to the mid-roll of episode three. First thing, the Queer Cat Firing is fully funded from generous grants and donations from the Regional Arts and Culture Council, the Oregon Arts Commission, Georgie's Ceramics and Clay Company in Portland, Oregon, Clay Art Center in Tacoma, Washington, and all the generous individual donors from GoFundMe. Also, thank you to Morning Ceramics and Daffodil Studios for hosting the pre-firing workshops that help break down the barrier to studio resource accessibility. We had an exciting last-minute development. The Queer Cat Firing will get a mention in an upcoming article in Oregon Business Magazine. Thank you, Andrew Yankowski, for reaching out for the interview. In this episode, we mentioned intersectionality and reference the acronym LGBTQIA+. In episode one, both of these terms are defined in the show notes. Alex also discusses the racial demographics of Oregon being predominantly white. In the episode two mid-roll, we expanded on the historical reason for this, if you're interested in more information about that. Now it's vocab time. We discussed a few terms today that may not be familiar to all people, and as promised, we want to promote learning and growth for all of our listeners. So here are a few that came up in this episode with official definitions borrowed from the Oxford and Cambridge dictionaries. Alex mentions tokenism, which is defined as a practice of making only a perfunctory or symbolic effort to be inclusive to members of minority groups, especially by recruiting people from underrepresented groups in order to give the appearance of racial or gender equality within a workplace or educational context. Although not explicitly mentioned, but related, is virtue signaling, which is an attempt to show other people that you are a good person, for example, by expressing opinions that will be acceptable to them, especially on social media. It is indicating that one has virtue merely by expressing disgust or favor for certain political ideas or cultural happenings. Thank you again for listening, and we'll jump back into the conversation. All 
All right. I am up, so I will talk about Utah State University's ceramic program. And <laughs> I came here in 2015 as a graduate candidate, and I did wood kiln firings for 13 years before I got here. Yet the way it's all structured was absolutely new and different for me. I came from a place in Pondicherry where we used to get casuarina wood, which was pretty much just of the size that would fit in the firebox. And the only thing that I may have to do is to bring the wood closer to the kiln in terms of stacking it close to the kiln. But splitting and getting wood from the dump and... <laughs> Preparing everything for the kiln from scratch was something that was new to me. And as a graduate student myself, who was trying to adjust to a completely different culture and a different, well, culture in the sense of even just friends and, and people you can count upon and all of those things, community, as well as weather was something that made me feel that because I wanted to keep up with the timelines of doing 60 credits in three years, I chose not to do wood kiln firing during my graduate program. But I would say that I was not the captain of the ship, but I participated in many firings because I would just stick a couple of pots and take on a shift and help move around wood and stoke wood and, and be positive, <laughs> optimistic help around the kiln. So after my 60 credits were over, I happily started driving the big wood truck. <laughs> also got experience of driving in this country, which is uh, different, and got to the dump where we get, gather wood. And we have a spot where we save the wood such that it's not on campus, which is a fire hazard. And I started getting involved in wood kiln firings. So the way it works is that someone just decides that they are going to fire one particular kiln. We have seven different wood kilns here, and they are of different sizes. So depending on whether you want to do reduction cool firing, whether you want to just straight up cone 10 and stop, there's different ways people like to fire. And as a student, we are also students here are experimenting as to what they really want to do in their firing cycle and stuff like that. So usually the person who has the maximum cubic feet of pots in the kiln would be the captain of the ship and would be the person who says, okay, we are going to fire till cone 10 and hold it for eight hours or 24 hours or whatever. And we're going to do reduced cooling or not. So somebody decides that. And then the undergrads and grad students with whom they feel like their line of thought matches and they are interested in similar kind of firing technique decide, okay, fine, we are just going to help you in the whole process of acquiring wood, splitting wood, doing the shelves, and loading and firing. So pretty much that's the basic structure, and it's very fluid, and I don't have more to say unless it sparks any questions or I've 
Well, it sounds like to me, just from my view and maybe you can let me help me with some understanding. If someone's interested in really learning how to run a wood kiln or coordinate a firing, they're really getting that experience if they want to. Like, it sounds like you can take the opportunity to, like, I guess one of the things I was wondering is how is that progression? You show up at Utah State, you can put a few pots in the kiln. How do you like become the captain of the ship? How do you become the person that, when does somebody say, okay, yeah, you know what to do? Does it happen organically or is there like a process or? I would say it's organic and it would essentially mean that someone who's, who's come to an M- to this MFA program has done wood kiln firings before. So they know what the kiln wash is and okay. they have done firings weather, reduction cooled, you know, cone nine and reduction cooled, or they like cone 10 and a lot of ash. They have done that in the past and they want to do it in this scenario with this body of work that they are working with. They might be doing clay body research with keeping the same kind of firing schedule or whatever. So yeah, they have some experience and the professors are always available to answer questions and provide any support that the student might need. So yeah, so you are coming with with a certain amount of experience. Where are what things placed in this studio is something which is an orientation which happens between the professor and the student. Most times it happens actually even before the MFA graduate student actually accepts the position here. I don't know, Mandy, what happened with your coming in over here, but most students actually visit and they take a good tour and they're like, okay, this is, they dream about themselves being in this <laughs> space. Any grad program you go to, you should always go visit the place first anyway. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think there's enough emphasis that can be put on that. <laughs> always, always, exactly. always go visit the place, meet the people you're going to be dealing with and working with. But I came through a few times to USU before I started the program, but I actually didn't have any wood firing experience before starting that MFA program. And I had figured on learning how to do it while I was there. And that didn't wind up happening. And part of the reason for that was I think there is an implicit expectation at USU that if you're coming for the MFA program, you have a history in wood firing. And so they don't really have anything set up to teach you how to do it if you're already at the graduate level. There are the undergrad classes, the intermediate hand building and the intermediate throwing classes. Those students usually wind up doing a student wood firing with whoever is teaching that class. But there isn't really anything in place to teach grad students how to wood fire if they don't already know how to do it, because it's very rare that they don't. I was kind of this anomaly that came in, didn't know anything about anything, and recognized very quickly when I participated in some wood firings, and I recognized very quickly that I was facing a learning curve that I was not going to be able to crest in three years and graduate. So I wound up just saying, okay, I'm not going to do that. So, I mean, and, and that that is my experience. And I also had this handicap in, in my art background because I didn't major in art as an undergrad either. I, I majored in drama. So there was a lot of foundation missing for me. And there was the wood fire background was missing from my experience. So I, I, I was a little bit anomalous that way. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. I do want to talk about folks who come to the MFA program, whom I have seen in these seven years who may not have done a lot of wood kiln firings, and especially the undergrads too, who become a part of a team 
with someone who has the experience. And then the person who is the captain of the ship or who's leading the firing really talks about the process with the people who are new to this way of firing or this type of kilns. I mean, I had, I wouldn't say a steep learning curve. I literally had a plateau of misunderstanding <laughs> how a buri box firebox uh-huh. works. I mean, it was literally a plateau. Like I was participating in these kilns and trying to help and, you know, stoking wood. I was good at side stoke because, you know, you don't have to worry about the primary and secondary air holes. And I would take usually take the shifts where you're just basically keeping the uh, secondary air holes open during the first initial climb on the kiln. But I would say that it's just been after pandemic or during pandemic, which is just five years into my stay over here, when I have understood how a buoy box firebox works. Because I came from the Anagama style of firing and wood kiln firing. And I think that that was because there was one of the other graduate students who also came from a background of firing Anagama kilns, and we spoke the same language, and we were able to crack the understanding of the Buri box. And it might have happened 10 years later for me, if not for that conversation and that understanding of the similar language of what is happening when the wood is actually piling up on each other in the firebox. And or when the wood hangs on a hob and you're playing with the primary and secondary air to heat up a certain part of the chamber of the kiln. So yeah, so for someone who's new to the wood firing experience, the person who's leading the fire is literally the person who's talking them, making it accessible for them to understand how to wad the parts. And I've had those conversations with uh, with people, and actually we are loading a kiln today <laughs> with four undergrads, one post back, a graduate student and myself. So yeah, we have those conversations as to what might be a good position for this part. Do you want it sitting on its side? Do you want it facing the fire? One question I have for you too, Antra, is, you know, you had 13 years, you said, of experience before you came to Utah State. And most of your experience, I, from what I understand, like talking with you was not in an academic setting per se, or maybe some of it was, but I wonder like, how you look at a workshop experience or residency type experience versus what it might be being in more of an academic setting. Yeah, there are so many layers of experiences that comes to mind. The studio where I work, there were two leaders, Ray Meeker and Deborah Smith, and they both had different ways of firing the same kiln. So it was really clear to me that the kiln does its thing, but it's also what you want to do with the kiln that can guide the firing. But I have had been in non-academic situation. And how is the academic situation different? I think it is different with the fact that the students here are running between classes and trying to do clay work and trying to do firings. When I was in a situation which is not a university, we were there around the kiln eight hours, 12 hours a day. And of course, when you're loading the kiln, you perhaps need one person who's pa- passing you parts, one person who's passing you wads, because we don't want wad fingers touching parts. <laughs> but other than that, 
the people who are around can be doing other things, other chores around the kiln. And once you have a good team, everybody just are, are supporting either moving wood or cleaning up the studio because we are already preparing to unload while other people are loading their kilns. And then whosoever pots are going in, if you just want to call them into the space, you it was easy when it was a non-acad space. Here, we wad the pots, we put a tape, we say, if we know, this is the direction we want the pot to be facing the fire. And so we have to plan all of that. Students run to their classes and then they come back and we have a conversation. They look at their pots sitting in the shelf. It's good. It's not good. There's a little more acceptance of what's going on rather than really fine tuning and detailing exactly how you want your pot in the kiln. So that's the biggest difference that I can tell between non-academic space and the space where I'm right now. Oh, and another thing, sorry, <laughs> is that most spaces with people like Ray, who's fired the kiln so many times, for example, when I fired at Robert Barron's kiln or Jack Troy's kiln or Marcus Bohm's kiln, they literally know with experience what's happening, what's going on inside the chamber, pretty much. They know exactly where they want their pots. They give you advice as to where your pots could go in and all of that. So there's a different kind of learning in that scenario where you're literally just reading the artist's mind and following their lead. While here, we are all experimenting and there are unanswered questions and the answer is only going to reach you once you have completed the process. That actually was hard for me to accept when I got here because I was like, why can't people just tell me the answer because I'd come from a space where they had the answers. <laughs> I always had a hard time figuring out which questions to even ask. Yeah. That was another, and it was on me. I, I wouldn't understand something and I'd try to ask about it and somebody would give me an answer. And now years later, I understand what they were saying, but I definitely didn't understand what they were saying. then. So that was one of those things I struggled with on that learning curve was First of all, not knowing how to ask the questions I had. And secondly, really not knowing what to do with the answers that people gave me. And it was disconcerting in a lot of ways, but it was just part of that journey, I guess. I totally agree, Mandy, that there are certain things that just seem like the answer, really, and it's so confusing. Like, is that right? Is that true? And then five years later... <laughs> That whole thing makes complete sense. Oh, that's what was said to me at that time, and I just could not understand it. And I feel like that cannot keep wood firing away from life. Life throws us throws at us questions like that, and we kind of try and answer it, but we finally answer it when we are we have overcome that situation or we have passed that point. That's my crazy connection all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. That's a pretty good lead in into talking about East Creek. I just started wood fire when I first came here in 2020. And I still have this like, well, you're just talking about that. I'm like, oh, okay, I'm not the only one who just doesn't know what people are saying sometimes. 
I think about it and like, it's definitely interesting. It's nice to be in a space where like learning is pretty common and lots of people don't know. So yeah, I'm going to be talking about East Creek art, which the sort of elevator couple sentences is that East Creek art is a 20 acre forest art retreat in Willamina, Oregon. We focus on wood firing and ceramics at the moment. We have capabilities for woodworking and metalwork and you know, we have the capability to do some welding and stuff, which we've welded when building kilns and, and things like that. But yeah, East Creek is interesting because it's been around longer than both Joe, Joe Robinson and his dad co-own the property now. It's been around since before Joe and I were born. So we're second stewards of the kiln and the space. And the kiln, East Creek Onagama kiln, it was finished or built built over the progression of time so big but 1983 was when it first because it's like inaugural time so we're looking at 40 years which is wild and lots and lots of pots have been there and it was built on a NEA National Endowment for the Arts grant part of it was funded by that it is a sister kiln to the kiln in Peters Valley which was the first kiln built like that in the States. And the same person who the short name Katz, he came over and helped build both of those kilns. So yeah, East Creek's always been about education and brought high school students out here a lot. And Nils Liu was the artist who purchased the space when he was in his 40s or 50s. And he worked at Linfield University and had a passion for wood firing and ceramics. So hence, East Creek is here. And now, Joe bought the property in 2015. And it's interesting because now all of the space is full all the time. Any cubic feet we put out for wood firing, it fills up. But I wasn't around for this time, but Joe speaks about a time where they were firing bricks. He was driving around just trying to get pots. They couldn't get pots to fill the kiln. And it's surprising to hear that, but also just realizing that if people don't know, I guess they're just not going to, they're not going to show up if they don't know to bring pots there. And so over the past handful of years, Joe and a lot of folks who fired out here for a long time worked really hard to build up the property and redid the floor in the Onagama, redid the firebox, redid the chimney, and got that kiln really on point. And that's how the community has really built from. There's always been high school students coming out here, which is really fun. Our April firing's coming up and high schools from around the state, many Portland, but also a few local schools around Willamina area bring pots. It's a really fun community of people we're going to be hosting the firing that Alex was talking about in May. And before my time, the firing while female was out at the Onagama there. And I think the ethos of this space is really trying to bring access to wood firing and also bring new people into the fold, perhaps, you know, new being all ages, but also a younger generation so that the practice and tradition can just live on and continue to grow. We're working on making more spaces for people to sleep and be comfortable. Often people just come out and sleep in their vehicles and rough it, and that's awesome. Building more kilns. What we've found is if you build it, they will come. That's true. And also, 
if you open up your space to people and allow for community, encourage community, and really think about what are the values that you want to grow in the community, the community really does grow organically and making it an open space, making it an educational space. One thing that is interesting about that is when we fire the Anagama, there's like 80 people's pots in there, which is awesome. But also it makes it a little challenging for folks who really want to perhaps have five or 10 cubic feet because often in wood firings, there's more space allocated for people and they have a little more time or buy-in into a firing. And so one thing that has been an interesting thing about it is the accessibility is great and making it a low stake situation for people is really great. It helps people who can't make five or 10 cubic feet at the time, but they can make three to 10 or 15 pots. They come out, they get to try it. It's a cool experience. So there's a little bit of give and take. And we've talked about building a kiln for ceramic artists who want to produce work. And that's on the radar because that's what people want and they're communicating it. And I think one cool thing about the style here is that we can hear what the community says and try to work on those different things. You know, we're trying to do lots of different programs and think about access while also doing workshops that people can just sign up for online. So lots of times we just have strangers from the internet who become friends. That's super fun. Everyone like ask, oh, how did you meet? And lots of times it's from the internet these days. Lots of my friends, not through a dating app, but just because people come out and join the community and... And they can't leave. They can't leave. Yeah, they're, <laughs> they're sucked in. <laughs> yeah. It's either the love of each other. It's the love of... I think wood firing is crazy because put the pots in there. <laughs> and like a lot of the time, well, not a lot of the times, the amount of times that things might fail is it's higher than other firing styles. But... People just keep coming back for more because the glory is really high to the excitement. Joe always talks about the surprise and delight of wood firing. The opening of any firing, I guess that is one pretty cool thing about having so many people participate is when the kiln gets unloaded, the energy and excitement is so high and it's really fun. So I think those are some main points. I don't know if you all have anything you're wondering or... Other things you want to talk, we should talk about. I think that the fact that this podcast is has come about because East Creek Joe Robinson organized this conference, and so you have taken a big leap into creating accessibility for diverse groups of people. That's something that you've already done. How is it on the ground? You just mentioned that they've. All cubic footage of the kiln is is taken up, and you know there are people, strangers you you're meeting online. What are the other things that are that you're doing for making your place accessible? You know, there's a couple different programs that we are working on. We have a grant writer, Arminda Gandera, who was on our panel when we did the conference. Her company, Colectivo, works for lots of different arts organizations, and her goal is really bringing accessibility. And so she's such a great resource and helps keep a lot of focus on programming, community programming. We've partnered with an organization in McMinnville, which is the bigger town that's close to us. 
And there's an organization called Unidos who works with Latinx families, offering them different resources and support. And Mindy made a relationship and we've done some programming with them where we brought families out and just had a making day. They could wood fire their pots or underglaze them with colors and then we glaze them. Most folks went with the colors which is reasonable, but it was super fun. And it was amazing to watch parents and children alike be so excited and enthusiastic about clay because it's that type of medium that really wherever your range is, you can make a project that's simple enough for, for people to just show up and be able to make it. And so that was really fun. And so just kind of reaching out to the community, we're working on doing some firings with different groups of people to just bring more accessibility. The upcoming firing with Alex and Twig is is an example of a focus on growing that. I think we work with the Oregon Potters Association and they have 10 cubic feet in every Anagama chicken cat firing. Generally, when we fire the Anagama, we also fire the catenary arch kiln simultaneously. And so we have worked with them so that their members can have access. And there's also an, a liaison through OPA. One of our crew members, who's also an Oregon Potters Association member, just helps support that. Because often, if you can sign up for something on the internet and you show up, all of those things that Alex was talking about, like, I don't know how to do what, I don't know how to do glazing, I don't know where stuff is, I don't even know where to go to the bathroom. It can be so overwhelming, especially when there's like 50 people. And just who do I even talk to? So there's a handful of people who know what's up out here and are really friendly and they support that. So that's another thing. I'm working on a small project at the library because I have a little daughter who's two and so we started going to the local library. And so I think we'll do like an in-town program. I think it'd be nice to bring people out here, but even sometimes that is a little daunting. So also going out into spaces. I did a small teaching residency at Willamina High School and worked with some kids there and brought their pots to the firing. And so they got to see the results of that. So I think that those are a few of the programs that make it a little more accessible. We also do lots of raku firing. Joe did that a lot for a lot of years. I mean, he still does, but raku firing will like pre-make pots so people could come and just paint a pot, which is also just a really nice entry level at a lower price point. It lets people come out here without having to know much. And we make pizza. People get to know the community. I know a good handful of folks that now wood fire regularly that started there just to see like what is going on out here. So I think that we also partner with a lot of the local Oregon based studios. Like Alex mentioned, Warning Ceramics, we've worked with them and we do collaborative workshops like Raku stuff or wood firing. So we work with local studios and we're always creative. We're always down to like figure out what works. Like do the people in your studio want four cubic feet of space? Do they want two? Do they want one? Like what type of education's needed? And the very, very basic to the very high level, it's a big wide range and it's nice because it's always mixed up. I think the environment is very, what's the right word for this? <laughs> like mentorship vibes. There's a lot of that energy. Like if you know something, people are really excited to share, want to share, want to talk. Exchange. Yeah, there's a lot of exchange of information and it's really fun. It's fun to see people get excited about it. It's also fun to see people find community. There are people who I've 
met who come out here and through conversation realizing how meaningful that can be when you're new to a place or maybe not new to Oregon, new to ceramics, but maybe it's been more challenging for you to find a community because you do get really, maybe you are really interested in quirky or there's aspects of group formation and certain folks have a, a more of a challenge of not being as accepted in groups as a general rule. Like, and I think here everybody finds their people. And that's my view is it's a lot of interested and interesting people. Yeah, who meet for collaboration and find buddies among all the show. Yeah. Yeah. And focus on making friends, but also making art, talking about the results, talking about what could we have done? What happened during the firing? Was it this glaze? Was it that glaze? And one amazing thing about having so many people is we have we have Gustin Shino. That's the house Shino glaze. That's the glaze that if you show up and you have no glazing experience, but there's so many people who love experimenting. So lots of random glazes show up and interesting wadding things happen. And, and yeah, it's fun. I've learned a lot about making different furnitures. Mandy makes great <laughs> pot furniture, as does Twig. It's cool to see how those different tools can be used. I've watched people who've never seen that or people who are bringing plates and bowls or things. And I've watched this exchange of knowledge and like, hey, look at this, this thing that I made. And someone's like, well, what is this? I don't know. Oh, it's a crown for stacking pieces or things like that. And it's fun to like watch that exchange happen and then see the growth of people when they circle back around and they're like, oh, I made one now. And it's cool to see that uh, knowledge exchange happening all the time. Yeah, sounds great. Yeah, it's fun. I can ask another question, but I want to give a chance to Alex. Yeah, sorry, I've been a little quiet. I feel like I used up all my spoons talking <laughs> earlier. <laughs> oh, yeah. I just had a passing thought about Raku. What I think is cool about that, in that it, how it differs from wood firing, you talked about it as an access point for people, but it's quick. It's basically instant gratification, which I think is really nice because wood firing, you gotta let the kiln cool. Any kind of firing, you have to let the kiln cool. Except really Raku. Yeah, you pull that thing out when it's hot. <laughs> and you take it home at the end of the day, and that, that's it. So I just think that that's a really cool, like, a door, a doorway, a stepping stone into atmosphere firing. Yeah, it brings people to the space. They get to know what's going on, and they can ask questions about wood firing. I know lots of people do that when they come out. Like, yeah. what is this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's happening here? What is this random tunnel in this hill? <laughs> <laughs> really? Like, yeah. what is that smell? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> smells like burning hair. <laughs> One thing that I was thinking about, too, as we were talking about this, the random tunnel thing, although it's slow and steady, I do think that one cool thing I've noticed is we live out in rural Willamina and a lot of folks come from the city to rural Willamina and we spend some time people who are local to here come out to our property maybe to check it out or maybe they're delivering something or things like that we go out to like dinner in the local area and the longer we've been around the more people like one recognize East Creek people I was talking to the woman who owns a thrift shop and I was like, oh yeah, my partner and I run this place, East Creek. And she's like, oh, you're East Creek. 
She's like, I pretty much can recognize people who come in from East Creek. She's like, there's like a vibe going on there. And I think it's kind of cool because so many folks are coming in and out. They're like stimulating this local economy, but they're also engaging with local people who actually don't have a lot of exposure to people from the city, people of different backgrounds. And that's pretty cool, I think that that's happening, like that kind of exchange, not even in the art world per se, but just in the actual world of people living and doing things. Yeah. And that's pretty fun. And that leads to the question that I wanted to ask, Aubrey. You're talking about how East Creek is creating this ripple in the community, in the rural Wilhelmina. How is it you're a mother, you are a wife to co-owner of East Creek, you're spending your life, your time, everything towards East Creek Art. How is it shaping you and your ambitions? What a great question. Thanks, Sandra. My mom made an interesting observation, which was when she talks to people about how this is working. She lives in, I'm from Texas. This is kind of an interesting thing. And like, how, how do they make it work? And my mom's like, well, pretty much she just lives and breathes and eats and sleeps ceramics. And in ways, it's not wrong. I'm currently the president of the Oregon Potters Association, which is not a forever term. But essentially, I was really involved in the ceramic community before coming out to East Creek. One thing that talking to some friends who've known me for a while, since I was just doing vibrant pottery and making production work and growing that business until now, being in community, building community, it can feel really hard. Sometimes I miss the days of just quietly being in my studio alone and taking that time because I've had to engage with more conflict, but I've also got to engage with so much more excitement and growth in relationships. I think that there's a lot of challenges and you have to be more thoughtful when you're working with people. And I am thinking about what does a, a future look like for me? Like, I love making pottery. I love selling pottery. It's so fun. I like developing my craft. I think wood firing is amazing, and I've been developing that work. But the thing that I have found that I didn't see coming for my life, per se, was that there's a potential, and I think this podcast is a great example, but also, like, there's this potential for really connecting and growing a world or having influence more strongly in the world towards building up values that really resonate for me and the idea of accessibility and expanding that, the ability of seeing people, asking people, asking the questions learning how to misstep but learn and grow and apologize, all of those things, I can see the potential for a lot of really great relationships that could build something more than what I saw for myself before really being involved, which is kind of cool and surprising. But I think we all have more capacity than we really know until we just start to push ourselves a little bit. And it's like, oh, all right. Other people are going to help do this, too. So, yeah, thanks for asking that. Yeah, it's lovely to hear. It seems like there's a lot happening, and it's lovely to hear you finding yourself staying afloat and looking towards a goal, which is beautiful. You know what crosses my mind is that 
all screens like Mandy, Alex, Aubrey. And I can tell to myself as well because I'm just looking at myself. We all have one beautiful smiles. <laughs> <laughs> this doesn't have to go on the podcast, but I just I'm so this is so enjoyable. That is a nice observation. No, the podcast people need to know because they can't, they can't see, see us. it. They, they can't see oh. us. They need to know that, that we actually That's really nice. Can you hear I don't know if you can hear the the That's smile so on the faces. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What more do we have to cover? I I feel like I want to ask about Mindy because I feel like she was part of the panel. I didn't get to meet her, but like, how is she doing and how is she contributing to podcast? If not, I'm curious. Well, I think that Mindy would probably be open if we focused on either like a grant writing and goals of accessibility, how to talk about it, how she works with lots of art nonprofits to help develop language. That's one thing that I think Mindy is really helpful with. You know, we have so many things going on. I think Mindy's focus on she looks at grants, she reads what they're asking about. With grant writing, you can have a project in mind and search for a grant to apply to. Or you can search for grants and then you can consider if there's a project that you could potentially do. And so I think that's one of the things, you know, we have this community programming that Mindy really focused on and we got funding to do it and now we can like talk more and expand more and do those things and so I think Mindy is really great about visioning how we can connect more with the community what how we can think about our value system and how do we act on it it's easy to talk about it and action is a little bit harder sometimes because there's logistics and planning and sometimes it does take more logistics and planning to be open or try to provide accessibility, which I'm sure Alex is finding this out. It's easy to just invite your friends who already come wood firing to wood fire. It's a lot more challenging to reach out to people. And if you don't reach out, lots of people are just, they're never going to take that step without that hand. And it's not because they don't want to take the step. It's just because we need a hand to hold some time in life because we need to know that we have somebody to support us. Because for whatever reason, we all have anxieties around joining groups, social groups. And like, I'm sure it's just within our evolutionary existence of how we've developed. So yeah, I think Minya is just really good at creating that opportunity. And yeah, she's doing great. Her business is going well and she is helping us a lot and other people a lot, which is cool. <laughs> I hope she'll join for something. It'd be cool if we could think about some sort of podcast to like an episode. Maybe if Alex and Twig do tackle a grant writing episode, maybe she could join for that because she'd have a lot of input. The more the merrier. <laughs> yeah. That would be great. It'll be yeah, great that, to hear that her. That would be cool, yeah. Yeah, I think that that's been interesting. The grant writing thing is interesting because it does feel daunting. Until meeting Joe and Mindy, I was not up for doing it. It's scary. In my experience, it's one of those things, it was like Wayne Gretzky who said this, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. So you're not going to get grant money if you don't apply to grants. Yeah, it sucks to get denied, but yeah, they're not just going to find you and give you money. <laughs> like you have to ask for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Having said that, I mean, 
I feel like grant writing or applying for exhibitions or applying for projects, all of that is literally apply, shut the door. If it knocks, you can go ahead. But otherwise, it's literally just like, keep doing it, keep doing it. And so I think I want to talk about what, Aubrey, you talked about, lending a hand to bring people to the space. That's perhaps something that I feel like if we don't have anything more to talk about, then just talking about the fact that in future episodes, we do want to talk about grant writing, for example, talk about experiences in community wood kilns and in private code wood kilns, how we can bring accessibility for diverse communities, extending or lending our hand to bring people who maybe don't feel comfortable or are hesitant, how we can bring them to be comfortable, to feel inclusive, and develop a language which helps us reach out. Yeah. I don't know how to close it. And that's it for this episode and also for this round of episodes. Thank you so much for listening. As I said in the beginning, we are hoping to release a next round in late summer or early fall, so hopefully we'll see you then. Thank you, Alex, Antara, and Aubrey for all your efforts and insights and for letting me have a cameo today. What's the audio equivalent of a photobomb? For the listeners, I was mostly present for technical support, but it was nice to get to talk about USU for a bit. We want to extend a huge thank you to Nate Shehorn, who was absolutely instrumental in helping us get set up with our RSS feed and also the major podcasting platforms. Nate and I produce another podcast called Carrots and Suffering, which is a Dungeons and Dragons real play podcast, i.e. pure entertainment and escapism. We are currently on our second campaign, hopefully with many more to follow. If you're not only a clayhead, but also a D&D junkie, check us out. We also want to give a mention to the New England Woodfire Conference organized by Trevor Youngberg. That's coming up. It's happening June 21st to July 1st, 2023. It will feature nine kilns in the New England area, including those owned by Chris Gustin, Trevor Youngberg, Mike Roche, Ben Eberl, and Jody Johnstone. There will also be Will of the Kiln, an exhibition juried by Chris Gustin, and presentations by keynote Lillian Ulverud, Virginia artist Lauren Sherbach, New York artist Kiichi Takeuchi, and our very own East Creek squirrel, Jess Komoromi. Apologies for any mispronunciations, they are my fault. Trevor also arranged for 10 scholarships, largely awarded to women and non-binary applicants, earning them a big A-rating cheer from us. Hooray! For more information and to purchase tickets, please visit newenglandwfc.com. Thank you, Julie, from Elaborate Flight of Fancy for our logo, and Joshua Clausen for our music. You can find them both on Facebook, and Joshua is also on SoundCloud. Looking forward to next time. We'll see you then. Mm